This is Untimely Reflections, a series of conversations with some of my friends, streamed here through the Nietzsche podcast. You go like just like a little bit east of here, and um, you're cool with this, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay, cool, cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You mentioned earlier, that's what. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, and we can always edit it. Yeah. Do you want me? Do you want me to move a little bit closer so my I'm angle a little bit? Yeah. Let's. If that's where the mic is, I yeah, think. we'll do that. All right. Looking the same way, I guess. Yeah. Um, you're saying? Um. So yeah. So it's it is like there is a desert just to the west of us, right. and it's semi-arid climate. But just to the east, it's subtropical. Right. So and the line nice. can cross Austin in a single day. So sometimes it'll be. Generally, what it is is that like you get up in the morning and it's super humid and muggy and just oppressive. Right. But then by the end of the day, it's like this. Like this is mainly how it is in the summer. It's like a blistering dry heat. Okay. By like five p.m. and Jeez. it's hot as fuck because the sun's been out all day and all the wa- all the vapors yeah. cooked off and right now yeah. it's just dry heat. Yeah. Um, or it can go bad. Or it can just be fucking humid all the time. But yeah, so rain snows here too. Yes. Not really. No. Okay. Well, there was a freeze yeah. last year. Um, which was oh that global warming? <laughs> <laughs> well, it was. Uh, There's a funny topic, right? In February, in fe- in February of last year, it was like a historic fucking freeze where like Texas. Okay. You probably heard about it. the grid went down. Yes, that's right. That's right. Oh, and like, then and then I saw the lady burning snow going up. Oh, Bill Gates. Oh, oh it was yeah. snow. Yeah, you see, yeah, yeah. Well, that was pretty and, uh, far out. Ted Cruz went to Santa Cruz or San- <laughs> He went somewhere. He was like left in the middle of. Oh, it. that's right. Like, that's I'm right. Just the game of vacation. Yeah. I remember uh, that it was that was that. And was I all saw a bunch of people, like you know, garden variety conservatives, being like, "Why do you care? What is Ted Cruz going to do? He's a senator." And I'm like, "Dude, th- like, there is a leadership element of like fucking suffering with the rest of us, man. <laughs> Rather than just you like leaving in the middle of this show, right. it really shows that you're like, I don't give a fuck about you. Like, if I was managing a store, right, and it's like." power goes out there's a million customers something's on fire and i'm the manager i'm like well i'm just gonna leave yeah i'll lock the door behind me too (laughs) (laughs) yeah go like okay well here's yeah i got you guys covered in the meantime yeah i don't know where i was going with that but yeah um well fuck yeah so we could resume it uh mushrooms and elves mushrooms and elves uh, pick up where we left earlier talking about schopenhauer's educator Saying, you know, in terms of, you know, like, I guess Nietzsche's biggest takeaways in that, right? Like, he talks about the uprooting of culture, the, what do you call it? And I guess, and, you know, it's almost like he saw the immediate, the immediate causes and effects. And then he could do the math to see what are the long-term repercussions. And he saw, you know, danger, violence. I guess you should elaborate, like, uh, the the criticism of culture that he talks about in Schopenhauer of educate as, as educator. Oh yes. Uh, my favorite I, line is out of, he says it himself, right? He's not a complete relativist and he's not a complete whatever. Right. Cause he says, uh, you know, out of all the things that make up culture, some of it's gold and some of it's pinchback. And I think pinchback's an archaic term for crap, you know, right, like, right, basically, right. <laughs> They're depending, yeah. maybe, maybe, I don't know what trans, that might not be the best translation of that essay that I'm quoting he, right now, but right. Well, it's also just that he, I don't know. He seems to talk. He he talks about just how everything is um, 
seems to be like cheap and superficial. Yes, um, that's a big deal. And that everything is overly intellectualized in the um, yes. universities and institutions. And that they're failing, in, the, in theory, they're failing to do their job. As being, yes. as being and actual guess, ed- educators, which yes. is like a big point of it is he says, there's a point in the essay where he says, and now I've told you all these things about why I like Schopenhauer, but I haven't told you why his example is educative, which means an example that we can live by. Right. And it shows you that that's what the terms he's thinking of is he's like, it's, it's the same thing he talks about in Use and Abuse of History for Life, which is the essay before yeah, that. He wrote one. in the same year where he says basically... Knowledge that doesn't inspire action does not matter. And in fact, it can be harmful to action. And so we need mm -hmm. to like align our knowledge seeking with action. And so in Schopenhauer as educator, he's looking at the same thing, basically saying all the knowledge that we're educating people with doesn't ever mold them into, um, you know, an ideal sort of person, or it doesn't instruct them in how to be a virtuous man. What What it's purported to do, it, it falls down flat because I don't know. It's almost, is it, Okay, because there's a few different ways I feel like we could frame it. Um, you question, is it that they were, that the were, okay, maybe you put it like this. Uh, were these institutions ever meant to do what they purportedly said their mission was? And maybe does this get into the idea of, okay, is it ideas that move history or something else, mm. right? And to a certain degree, I feel like I could say yes. I, yeah, I'm of two minds here. Ideas move history and that at least maybe maybe a lot of us fall in love with a dead man mm-hmm. you know or we yeah. find a friend therein or that's, we see that maybe what, that we see we're not crazy even you know what i mean right. well that's what he's he's hoping for as a, a culture as a educator basically right is exactly what you're talking about yes. like a dead man that you can fall in love with the image of and say that's what i'm going to live like that and he said schopenhauer importantly uh that now, okay, I, got, I have a statement and then a question. But if I'm not mistaken, he says Schopenhauer is um, is that man. He he does provide a solid example. Now I'm gonna I could uh, let me fast forward real quick ahead and go in Eke. I think it's Eke Homo. He says um, he also says it's almost like he's admitting he regrets titling that essay what he does because he says it should have been titled Nietzsche is the educator, right. but. And I don't know, again, was that, was that you know, Christian, European, uh, you know, that uh, kind of modesty uh, in the fact that he was fundamentally a polite person and he was just kind of, you know, if that's earlier Nietzsche, then maybe or, la- uh, that's, uh, that's far removed from saying like, I'm dynamite. Appeal ethos, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Maybe, yeah. maybe, maybe, yeah, you could say it's, okay, uh, I remember Carl expressed that. He said that, you know, you can't, like, if someone, if someone doesn't understand something and here you are, like, ahead of them and, you know, you have a certain cynicism as a result, like, you're not going to get them to see anything you see by beating them over the head with that or hurting them with that. You have to wrap it in good nature and humor for them to, to make the bitter medicine go down, really, is what he was saying, right? Well, and I think, um, so in that era of Nietzsche, he still probably would call himself like a Wagnerian. Yeah. He's sure. still in that milieu. I mean, that's yes. two years after writing Birth of Tragedy or publishing Birth of Tragedy, mm-hmm. uh, a work that was criticized and then defended publicly by Wagner, who is right. basically then publicly taken on the role of like, I, Nietzsche is my student in, in a sense. Um, and so Wagner and Nietzsche, one of the things they really agreed on was this um, love for Schopenhauer and his philosophy. And that was a big part of their right. like kind of romantic movement was taking the side of Schopenhauer over Hegel. There's like those two threads of like, which way, which direction do you take right. Kant? 
excuse me, it's a good way of putting it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and so they're taking the Schopenhauer side. And so I think there's like a certain way that Nietzsche is like putting that into a language that his, the people who'd be inclined to listen to him would understand. His, I guess he, and technically his students, right? Right. Yeah. Uh, of, originally as a teacher and then how, but I, I guess what I would say is like the reason why he says it should be Nietzsche as educator, I think is because Schopenhauer it's how do I put it it's like I guess it's like how you do, you look at the how you would define the word inspiration okay. what does inspiration mean and I think one of the things that he uh, uh, the way Nietzsche phrases it occasionally when he's talking about the pre-platonics and when he's talking about not only Schopenhauer but the other men he mentions in the essay that are like a, an image of man like Rousseau and Goethe right. is he he says they show that it's possible to live a certain way and that it basically right. makes it so that the oh it, it's in use and abuse of history for life where he talks about monumental style history um when you look at heroic past figures and sort of like build a monument to them that's your way of doing history you're showing yourself and showing other people like look this heroic life is possible to live somebody actually it's lived like this and that's it's an example and so it, it, i guess what it is is that schopenhauer showed Nietzsche it's possible go be this solitary philosophical figure like what Heraclitus did yes. in ancient Greece you can do that today Schopenhauer just did right. it well, Heraclitus is a great example right. because you know a thinker like that you know he would be to my mind in, in, in all truth like he would be out of he would I think he would be as out of place today as he was back then <laughs> in terms of a right. way, way, I think uh, Nietzsche refers to them all as what uh, the pre-Platonic philosophers yeah. or right. maybe pre-Socratics yeah um Technically, both, I guess. Before, right? before all of our modern conception yes. of philosophy. Yes. Um, <laughs> yeah. Well, I think that I think I would even take your claim a step further and say, like Heraclitus, Schopenhauer, oh. and Nietzsche. Yes. All embody this timeless, like yes. archetype of this solitary philosopher who would be out of step with any fucking civilization and they lived in. he says that. Nietzsche writes that. Okay. Now, is it... Right, no. So I don't know. It? I didn't... Check it out. Yeah, that, no. Okay. I don't remember. It could be in Use and Abuse. It could be in Schopenhauer's Educator. Or it could be somewhere else. And actually, you know what? I fucked up. Maybe maybe it is a different philosopher. But I want to say it might be Nietzsche. Okay. And if not, someone else said it. That it's, it's, It is a certain understanding. And it's the notion of it doesn't matter what time this this guy was born that there's something about them and the way they carry themselves that you get an impression that they would be themselves regardless of where they were born. Mm -hmm. And maybe, you know, further analysis, you could say, well, a philosopher emerges due to the conditions of his culture, right? Mm -hmm. Like he is a, actually, he's a response. He's a rebuttal. He's a repudiation even or a criticism or any, any or a destroyer, let's say. Well, it's like but a destroyer is a creator. Yeah, well, you could say Ideally. that, uh, in, well, in Nietzsche's own words, that, like Socrates, for example, is the result of the decadent Athenian culture. Right. That they produced Socrates, this critic, this gadfly. <laughs> um, because it's during Dirty, those ugly man. It's, there, it's <laughs> during those things. times when you need to... It's uh, what you were saying earlier, uh, before we started rolling, uh, like, come back to reality. You've left the enchantment of, of the... Um, Oh, the illusion yeah. that your culture has the dream, spread the over dream world, the essentially dream world. the artistic dream world that right. culture produces, right? Because all of them have done it over time, and I guess that's the difference with between technology and these other factors. The mod, us modern people, we don't have the what do you call it? It really is a um, is it a, is wait, well, let me ask you, is it a luxury or is it a 
you know, and I guess maybe Nietzsche would suggest also forgetfulness and turning it off maybe from time to time at least, or not, maybe not burning yourself out on it. I don't know how you'd put it, right? So is it a a luxury to live in the dream world? Is that the question? Yes, like, because if you're undisturbed, that sounds kind of ideal to me, doesn't it? Like, you know, you look at the rest of the animals. What's a luxury as far as civilization is a luxury? I mean, you <laughs> okay, even okay. say like <laughs> just from the. This ultimate, is quite a luxury. Yeah. Well, where did where did where, where did they get the ingredients to make these beers? Right. Probably from global trade. Yes. I, I would imagine. And but, this table well, we're the sitting pecan, at. I mean, they're both local beers, but the materials that make their could their be from stills, or far. Like all the oh, hard, yes. I'm thinking more like the hardware. hardware. Yeah. Where yeah. was all that mined? And then the technology too. Right. And then there, it's it's all. I those... mean, the things that have made it cheap enough for all these breweries to pop up in right. recent years. A lot of that is the fact it's like, yeah, we got people mining that over half the other side of the world. <laughs> right. They're getting paid quite nothing. the luxury. Yeah. It's okay. But but what I was gonna say, like, sure. just from the ultimate perspective of like the state of nature being the default, you could just say that the amount of safety and security and stability that you and I experience right sure. in this moment. That we're not worried at all oh, that a predator great. is going to exist. It's awesome. Or anything. It's like, but it's like, how rare are those moments in like the history Dude, of no, all life? Well, you watch animals and nope, there's no animal. On no, 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 yeah. no, and yeah, no <laughs> animal gets to exist as blissfully as we do. And I was just thinking, um, so it's a luxury, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, like yes. I, I love and because I'm a big fan of animals and love observing them. Uh, I'll show you some pictures later. I got some good ones if you're if you're, if you're so inclined. Uh, okay. Various animals, but what are these? Your cats? No, 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 just <laughs> wild creatures. Because uh, they're they're interesting points of study. Oh, I love cats. Okay, Perfect. Right. I, I do. Cats are. Oh man, I, uh, cat. You know, they're such an interesting uh, animal compared to the fact that they don't. That meowing isn't how they talk, and they don't meow at each other. They meow to talk to they us. Manipulate us. Yes, that's yeah. that's incredible to me. <laughs> that an animal figured out it can use its biological capacity to language to influence another animal. Now. Here's a question, because it's been said that to the degrees that, and like, we can get along with monkeys, we can get along with dogs, we can get along with a lot of animals that right. have that social nature, mm-hmm. and that understand the world in terms of at least maybe what it feels like to be in a food chain, even though they don't have a conscious expression of that, right? The monkey can't, the monkey's not going to say, hey, I'm feeling depressed or sad or anxious, but he might scream and hoot and he might, like, you'll right. see it in him, that nervous animal nature. Like, I'll give you another, here's another fun example. I was watching some dogs the other day and you had one dog who was much more mellow and uh, just kind of, what you know, he was a very, very, very mellow dog. And the other dog was very high strung and constantly harrying this other dog and chasing him around. And you could just see how antagonized the first dog was. Right. It'd be like watching two children and one's, not necessarily bullying him, but they're not necessarily on the same wavelength. And yeah. maybe the kid, the other kid has the... If it's like an older or bigger kid, just throwing the other yeah. one around. Or yeah, yeah. And, and, yeah. And, and maybe the kid has a, enough mind or experience or whatever to say, hey, cut it out, or I don't like that, or I don't like you. It's very simple. It comes out in children. But you could see it in this dog and this animal, and it wouldn't be no different than if me and you were sitting here... And all of a sudden, some, like you've seen someone spun out on meth, yes? You've right. seen people, yeah. you know, whether on TV or in real life. I've seen it in real yeah, yeah, life, I, 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 I bet you have some great <laughs> stories. Speaking of which, I'd like to read your yes. book someday. But, uh, yeah. So check it out. Uh, yeah, if that guy came along right now, me and you right away, we would go, Not we, we might not, like, right, clench we our would, hand. We might not completely, we're not going to lose our shit. We would shit. probably move, move into a position where I can stand up. Yes, ready for action. Right? <laughs> it would be right away, like, hey, we would look at each other and be right. like, hey, is this, you know, you, this guy's off. Yes, yes. Okay, we right. both see that. Uh, it's obvious by how anxious and agitated he is. And I think within, actually, human behavior, I think this is something that doesn't get accounted for, especially when we talk about things like, 
crime, justice, etc. It's like, you know, if you don't actually know how spun out people are, if you don't know how nasty they are, if you don't know how predatory they are, then again, you have the luxury to think that criminals just, you know, oh, they, they shouldn't have it so hard. Right. And then you realize, you know, and then if you grow up, you might live to see that, you know, like the animals here aren't harmless and least of all us, mm-hmm. you know, they all exist in that honest awareness. Cause, and I love that about animals that, that they can't lie. And, you know, if they catch you, I love that look. Got to tell this story real quick. Was uh, out hiking not too long ago um, up in the mountains. And I actually came across a lynx. And it was one of the, or it was a bobcat actually. Oh. But I saw him before he saw me. So I had the luxury, or, you know, it, it was just, I, I, I had the chance to pause. For, you know, I, I was quiet for a second. And as I, I watched him kind of go about his business, right? And it's like, I'm watching something I shouldn't actually be able to see. You know, this guy's a predator. He's supposed to chase a guy. Mm. He's supposed to sneak up on me in theory, right? right? Because they say that about most large cats is you don't see them coming, generally speaking. Right. They pounce, right? right. Or they you come must up have been behind. downwind. Yes, exactly. No, that's exactly what I was thinking. He, he, the only reason he did it's not because I'm some skilled hunter. It's because, <laughs> right. you know, I have some experience. It's like, it's like, no, I was, yeah, exactly. I, I was up from him, but it must have been blowing, you know, behind me. Mm. Um, because I had, I had a few moments of just watching him. And then that moment he looked up at me, his eyes grew huge, you know. Oh, and then shit. he realized, oh, I'm being watched. And I saw that take place because it's no different than a kid with their hand in the cookie jar. You know, they have that sudden eyes bugging moment. Right. And it's just, okay. right. And, and, and I love that about our physiology. Like, the people can say what they want to say, but our physiology doesn't lie. You know, our, right. our, 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 what do you call it? Our, well, that's interesting. I, like, nonverbal communication yeah, doesn't so lie. Yeah, so you're basically bringing up that. You can see it even in animals. You can see it in kids. Yes. You can see it in any person. And then it's like we grow up that to not see it almost. Like, sure. To a point. That's true. But as you pointed out, even you and me, like there are certain things, like one oh. of the things that's easy to point out, that if you're standing with somebody and they start like looking around, glancing for witnesses, like that gives you bad vibes. Like there are like things people can do that yes. just immediately. Oh, immediately. Um, and depending on the situation. It could go from this is nice to this is horrifying really quick. Right, yeah. Um, but, yeah, so, I don't know. So, so wait, so you brought that up earlier when we were talking about uh, is it a luxury to have... Um, oh, to not these, think. To not think. And so I guess... Give I me- guess that was just sort of spinning off of, like... Uh, that there's this animal reality <laughs> beneath the surface at yes. all times. At all and times. That, oh, yeah. man. Oh, yeah. dude, it will... Why, and then I guess, you know, when Nietzsche and certain thinkers suggest forgetting, it really makes sense And that... I don't know, you know, does it... How often does it do us good? And I guess this goes back to knowledge should serve us. History should serve us. You know, and if they mm-hmm. don't, again, it's... What is it? It's dead weight or it's almost like a malignancy? Yeah, like what is history that ignores that state of nature that we've been talking about that still sort of lives in you to some extent it's i I don't know because i guess something like that my thoughts are well it's fiction it's and it's okay to have fiction and art to a degree but at the same time okay i guess we're back to art like your art is actually your more like it really is morality and i guess if i think of modern art actually here's something i did want to talk about with you was america as as a televisual culture and also how our art has changed over time you know and if if you go back to the postmodernists who their expression was to, and they, they, these aren't even my words, I, I, reckon, I would recommend you or anyone to read that, that essay, uh, E Unibus Plurum, okay. uh, right? Because it's just, it's a certain under, it's an understanding that I never saw anyone else ever express, and I only saw it in that one place, so it's like I always 
say, hey, if you haven't read this, it's definitely worth it. But he talks about what the postmodern thinkers began to understand is actually the more connectivity, the more chaos. The, the more you have a rise in complexity and the more nodes therein further network to other nodes, it's like, dude, that is all the... Each new path is a chance for disruption. Each new path is a chance for something to go wrong. And it's, it's the same in wiring in your car and a tank and a in a plane right and luckily we are amazing at complexity but complexity also requires diffusion of action and responsibility mm-hmm. you know and you, you, without you know well, i guess we could define responsibility we could question responsibility we could say how but many i think people- i get what you're driving at. you're talking you're asking about modern art because this is in a time the illusion is falling mm-hmm. of the previous enchantment of the world which was christianity based right our morality and our art and there. now art ha- is unrestrained yes. to some extent. And, it, and, it, and, it, and it's like, okay, here's your art. It's a malignancy. You know, it's just a cancer and we're just going to stare <laughs> at it. And, and I know, okay, as a modern example, you know, if I think of the pop surrealist movement, it's fundamentally, it's Mickey Mouse in a gas mask, right? Mm-hmm. That's our world, right? It's, it's, you have the cute side well, of, I look, of, it, a mouse isn't a prey animal, he's a cartoon, and then right. he's wearing a gas mask because he might get some mustard. Get, I don't know. Right, 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 right. You might get some fire behind the trenches, I guess. Yeah, it's a, uh, yeah, the cartoon world and cartoon physics, that's an interesting thing, the psychology of which I haven't really thought about. But uh, the I'm a big fan of cartoons, by the way. I, I guess, um, what would I say? When I think about American culture now sure. and thinking about what the... I don't know, the utter privation that we have of culture in America. Mm-hmm. Um, I think of every single streaming, new streaming show, <laughs> yeah. streaming movie, being essentially the same thing. Mm-hmm. Okay. This carbon copy blueprint of some hero cycle story with all of the pathos stripped out of it. With unlikable anti-hero, anti-social characters oh, who are plotting against each cynicism, other. Cynicism, flatness, numbness, right. it's all there. Tons of violence and sexuality. Well, that's our greatest export. And amazing Americans. visual effects. Yes. And uh, usually halfway decent plotting, but sometimes, because these are all made by committee and it's not the single artistic yes. vision of somebody, usually yes. there's like something weird in the pacing or yeah, character and you, you where you can tell, like, oh, that off. got cut, that got yeah. cut, that got changed last right. minute, that, but, that messed up, that just didn't work but out. But overall, like when I like think about like, okay, you look at like the soundtrack and the aesthetic and right. the general overall um, plot points that you're going to hit. And, like, every new, like, sci-fi adventure streaming show. Like, all our right. new stories that are becoming most popular right now, especially over the past two years. Mm-hmm. Shit that can just be beamed into your home and is not coming out in a theater. Right. I'm just, like, when I look at that, that's what I think of rather than any particular art movement. Because it's, like, the most commercially viable right. art we, that's being well, done. We're televisual. Back to the point. Like, we are a televisual culture and that mm-hmm. hasn't changed. Now, the craziest thing about that essay, Unibus Plurum... It was pre-internet or it was pre-everyone using internet because it was early, written in the early 90s. And so he actually, he, he, he cites a conservative tech writer. And the conservative tech writer's vision is like, no, look, once we all get to curate our bits of data mm-hmm. and once we're not beholden to televisual broadcast and the manipulation of these broadcasters, everything, you know, things will be solved. The problems will be fixed and, you know, people will be happier and better. And you could say, yes, it provides a certain opportunity, but you have to be savvy and intelligent enough to capitalize on it, on it, one. And then two is that he predicted it because he said, again, once more, the increase in connectivity is an increase in chaos. The postmodern mm-hmm. understanding was the more connected nodes and connectivity in general, I guess, is the harder it is to 
make anything of the signal because if we're broadcasting this at all times you know you see how much i guess well how much it's affected americans how much it affects the world and now and now we all have access to it and you can question okay you could say is it a good thing or is it a bad thing and you could make strong you know and i guess we go back to plato and plato would say this is this is all a bad i think oh, yeah. plato would be very if upset if you read the republic it's very yes. clear what oh, he thinks people would be very upset but, but this is so what you're seeing is like uh so again the illusion falls we're confronting material reality yes and there's a million ideas now and this is a consequence of the what you would call the decadence or the decline yeah it, uh, it's the basically over time yeah yeah uh, all ideas can now come out and come to the forefront because right. we need or we are in need of ideas right basically. no no we, we are we, but we that's the stimulation what, and the uh, it heightens the ratio of noise to signal or, yes. or i mean that's the thing i would say there's probably a thousand great signals that you could jump oh, on yeah. today but, but all the other signals them. sound like noise when they're just all going in concert, right. you know. And then, well, again, it's a question of finding them because, I mean, I mean, look, the Nietzsche podcast has been awesome. Like, I, Thanks, I like, well, and I love yeah, all no, your shit on Into the Absurd. Yeah, like, and, oh, sure, thank you. Uh, but, no, I mean, congratulations on the success and seriousness, but also that, um, what do you call it, like, again, uh, I don't want to say Keegan is educator, but a little, right, right, like, 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 let's just give credit where credit's due. And I just, I know, I, I, I think it's, it's great that, again, this is, my thought is, you know, we, we always need educators. It's important. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that to even say it, like, there's a part in me that wants to be cynical about that statement in the sense of, well, if none of this matters to the degree that this is a cyclical process and there's nothing anyone can do about it and that our art itself might be, you know, that is, a, maybe it is our only answer to it is that this is all we can do. This is all we can produce in the face of it. You know, I mean, what, like, no single person can solve this. No president can solve this. No, you know, the, the changes over time, the, you know, whether, regardless of value judgments of good and bad, it's like, it's affected us. It's affected our people. It's affected the whole world. Because I guess, look, uh, America is a televisual culture, right? Like, I've heard from countless Europeans how much they resent, actually, the sway of America, like how much America has influenced their country and their countrymen oh, yeah. over, you know, and they're going like, they're like, hey, look, here I am talking like an American. I've never been to America. I've just watched a lot of your media. I don't even like it that I'm using your words. You know, yeah. and I try not to, and I understand it too. I go, okay, yeah. I don't want to do it either, you know. I try and, uh, I guess, go back to that, you know, kind well, of timeless But that's space. what's kind of horrifying about it too now with the level of interconnectivity with the internet is that there's nothing safe <laughs> there's no we don't have individual distinct cultures anymore like or to the extent that they exist it's like if you imagine like the barrier or like the membrane of a cell yes it's like they're slowly getting like dissolved by alcohol or whatever right, right. the alcohol is capitalism but like global <laughs> capitalism but you know what I'm saying like Whoa. it's basically that's yeah. what I mean it really is like a profit uh, creating capital efficiency that's driving people into every market on the globe right and like, did why, we did we really need to be this uh, efficient and crazy about efficiency? You know what well, I mean? Like, and that's what I, guess so. I mean. Honestly, that's what did the logic. Have, I, that's say, that's the logic that produces superficial art, though. Is right. that the, the logic of making something appeal to the greatest number of people possible? Right. And then things like what you and I are talking about, like <laughs> like you know, some sort of like timeless arc archetype of the artist revealing his truth for these future generations <laughs> that makes it sound like romantic asshole <laughs> in spite of the cyclical fall of empires no i mean that's fine dude that that's what that was a cynical comment 
because right, right. no, no, I, yeah, maybe, no, maybe it was makes that, it sound like romantic assholes. That's like how people think now. No, I know, I know. That's and they're why. like, they're like the, the, ir- the, the irony, members. fucking. We don't need it. On, we, we don't on, need on Twitter. it. Uh, <laughs> that's how they think is like well, denigrate anything okay. like that, and it gets in our heads. And I think of, I yeah. think that as well too. It's almost like a no, it's a release valve. But here's the thing: if that release valve is open all the time, you're like left with a vacuum. Almost. No, you're right. Your release valve is a perfect way to put it because like. It's okay. Cynicism, it's okay. Skepticism, irony. That's, it has yeah, a place. It's got a it, place. Nietzsche says irony is best in education, where the teacher lets the student make a mistake to right. point out to him what he doesn't know. That's mm-hmm. irony's application in education. Amongst friends, it's fine for humor, provided right, I guess right, right. everyone's on the same level, and it's like, you know, I don't know that. Like I think me and you could be, I, we, you know, we, we and I guess we, we we have been, you know, we've been ironic, we've been cynical, right, right, right. but it's all been in good humor yeah, of I'm like I would never, all the no, time. and I would never, dude. If someone was in serious help or if someone was in serious need, especially someone I loved, I would never fucking like that would I would never like to me if they're like if that's your response to someone in need, it's like that's not a life raft, like that's just a foot kicking them adrift, right, you know, right, like right. Uh, it has again, it has its place. Uh, so what David Foster Wallace wrote of. The televisual culture of the 90s was that the televisual culture of previous America, uh, it actually arose as competing with the postmodern art scene because they saw that, you know, this understanding was that humanity was becoming increasingly aware of its status as a kind of blind, mindless consumer amidst countless other consumers who blindly consume and then he cites examples like alf you know the alien in that old show from way back when right of saying like hey come um what do you call it uh stuff your face with food and watch tv tonight right inviting you know and is is a passive viewer that's got to make you feel like shit or even what is it is it the circle jerks tv party tonight we've got nothing better to do than have some drinks and watch the tube or whatever the lyrics are right and that was american culture it was that cynicism that flatness and that numbness and he brought up the commercials from the 90s if you remember and you've you've seen them since of like here's some people in black and white and then one of them drinks sprite and all of a sudden he's in color right Mm. here's your transcendental individualism so he said (laughs) it was something like flatness like like the the cynicism is an, is an is an answer to like one aspect of it. The numbness lets everyone know that you're not naive and that the you know like he he right. lays out what the what each well, function they serve. Okay, wait, let me jump in here sure. because my what I go to. This is so funny that we're gonna. I'm I'm about to drop the topic. I'm about to drop sure. the Nietzsche podcast. But um, what I think of with what you're talking about is Seinfeld, because that is the ultimate nihilistic show. Yes. It's literally a show about nothing. Yes. All of the Bingo. characters are terrible people. Right. And, and what do they do? Endure each other? Endure their ex- their, their pointless existence? Like, I mean, basically, kind of, right? but they endure it through being cynical and ironic and yes. sarcastic and assholes and, like, <laughs> relishing in that yes. and being smarter than And every, the show like, knows it. And the yes. show addresses it. And they, they know that's why you're watching well. it and that's why they had the rule no hugging, no learning. What were the two rules yes. of the writing staff? Was that the Larry David? Did Larry David yeah. put that forward? That the characters can't, like, there's not going to be an awe. Like, the audience, the studio audience isn't going to say awe right. while they hug. And they're never going to learn a lesson or grow as people. Which most TV characters <laughs> never learn a lesson or grow as correctly. people anyway. 
people who didn't understand people who yeah people people who didn't understand that ending i think like like i think it ended correctly like it ended mm. how that show should have ended like look they're irredeemable assholes and they get oh i can't believe you're saying <laughs> what <laughs> that, that seinfeld ended correctly yeah that's uh, that, out of everything that's gonna upset people yeah, well, on this podcast, I, okay how would you where, where are you at in, in this in this age-old this topic, age-old topic. <laughs> uh, i actually am probably closer to your view yeah it's hard i, to I don't see. think it was a particularly good ending no yeah talk i agree about with it. you like, there. it was like the worst thing ever like the sopranos ending was the worst thing ever yes i'll agree with you there uh, too seinfeld was like dude i mean we got to see a lot oh. of the characters again they go testify against them honestly i actually like that you're you're right i like that conceit of all the characters they've wronged over the years come and testify against them and then they go to jail and Jerry and George literally have the same conversation that they have from the pilot episode about and they Jerry's can, they shirt. They on purpose. So they didn't learn anything. It's like <laughs> everyone they've wronged tells them how they wronged them, and then they didn't learn anything. And so you're right. That is actually the perfect ending to Seinfeld and, in right, some way. And maybe and maybe because to the degree that we're all assholes, we don't want to admit it. I don't know. I don't know what it is. Right? Well, yeah, it it's coherent with the message of yes, the show. Yes. But well the, well, the reason why I brought it up, though, is because sure. Seinfeld, in my opinion... <laughs> it's a great work of art. Yeah. Like that to me is like the <laughs> the archetype of cynical witty ironic sitcoms. Right. But it's it's not what have they cha- like what but it's not through shitty art that you get a complete degradation of art, right? right? It's it's by somebody coming along and being I mean what's the the prime example in music is Nirvana. Nirvana comes along, they change the game and then everyone's like fuck, I hate all these Nirvana clones. Why is everyone trying to sound like Nirvana? And that's, like, the same thing, I guess, like, why I thought of Seinfeld. I'm like, there are amazing examples of exactly what you described, but then getting inundated well, with Nirvana's that. Well, like, no, Nirvana's a great example of, and to a certain degree, to the degree... Also nihilistic, all, too, the, and the, also the 90s. The, the 90s musicians, well, I, shit, I think of the eels, Novocaine for the soul, right? Like, mm. give me something to fill the hole before I sputter out. Like, there's so many lyrics and bands I could name from the 90s where some of it, some of it was some of that kind of transcendental, what do you call it, um... Like uh, being a transcendental individual, it's like, well, if we're cynical enough, if we're flat enough, if we're this enough, right. maybe. If you're cynical enough, you're like standing outside of your age a little bit, and you get some freedom and independence of yes. thought. And so there's that freedom there, right? And it's like, and where does that even come from? It's like, well, yeah, I guess you could you could say maybe we trace that lineage to that notion of Americans as both individualists yet for being individualists, we have quite the tendency to loving cults and collectivism. You know, it's kind of this shit ebb and flow. And you know, made fun of the goths in high school for being individualistic in oh, their conformity. You ever seen the guy, the, what about the goths, goths on South Park? You, 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 oh yeah. yeah, oh, yeah, they're, yeah. They're, the, they're the best. He's like, he's like, Hey, I thought we were nihilistic. No, we're, we're pessimistic. No, I don't, <laughs> they don't even know what they are, but they're just right. They're trying to figure it out themselves. But it's like being a cynic or being a pessimist or being, having that detached, ironic coolness is a way, to insert your individuality like which is valuable in right. and of itself even though you can say okay well a million people asserted their individuality in the same way and then that's where it became yes like, we're we're watching he uses the example of a story about david does and uh, you know his plural foster wallace yeah okay and he uses the example of there's the 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 short story i forget who wrote it uh, some famous postmodern writer right but it was um you know, we're going to see the world's most photographed barn. And the premise is, you know, like this barn, like what did it look like before it was photographed? Now we're part of the zeitgeist of this thing. And does anyone like, you know, we're taking pictures of taking pictures of ideas of ideas, you know, mm-hmm. that by the time you're there, you know, the whole thing is him quest- questioning just what are they achieving and doing of, hey, we're 
now we're here at what we've been advertised to as the most photographed barn photographing the barn like whose idea even was this and mm-hmm. you know it really starts to get weird if you really think about you know i don't know i uh, so what that makes me think of that. is something maybe a little weird but uh sure. it makes it, what it makes me think of is uh so i went to europe when i was like 19 mm-hmm. and i went alone and i just backpacked i met a bunch of people i would travel with people for like a week at a time but mostly i was on my own uh and i was just taking the bus i had a bus pass it was this one bus route that went in one fucking direction one cycle so it was easy just went from place to place. They could even drop you off at your hostel. Great. Uh, it was Australian bus line, so I met a ton of Australian people. But I remember I went to a ton of museums because that's the thing you fucking do. Right. And by like halfway through, I was like, I'm done. It was after Rome. I was like, I'm done with museums. <laughs> Too many. Because I had been to, I'd been to like in Rome. I was like, okay, I've seen enough. I've seen enough history. And I'm going to like south of France and Spain now. I'm just going to indulge and not care about any of that and so then when i got back to paris which is where i was spending the last week i was like all right i gotta go see the louvre and the mona lisa it's been long enough and i was like i've been running to so many people who saw the mona lisa and they're like it's so small it's like a freaking <laughs> they're like they're like it's the most underwhelming shit you will ever see in because... your life because you were a part of this movement that swept you along towards it. And once well, you get there... Right. But that, So that's the thing. So I heard... <laughs> Excuse me. I was cynical about museums. And then I heard for like two or three or four weeks, everybody say the Mona Lisa is the most underwhelming, horrible thing ever. And then when I went to the uh, the museum, the Mona Lisa was probably my favorite thing I saw. I was just because saying, my expectations had been so low Lord. that when I saw it, I was like... That is a gorgeous painting in ways I never thought about before. That's cool. And it's not that small. It is pretty freaking small. But I was like, it's not that. It's not a postcard. Like, <laughs> I had been prepared for, like, it's like you got to get a microscope, basically. But so, I don't know where I was going with that. It was basically just well, that the the being underwhelmed, or told I was going to be underwhelmed, actually, like, whelmed me <laughs> when right. I saw it. Well, I was going to say, I think, you know, what's, without, without, if I could like tr- even try to remove myself from any of this, which I can't, and I would say, okay, to me, in theory, the coolest thing about seeing that would be to think about Leonardo da Vinci, to go, this is the closest I will probably ever get to him, right? Mm-hmm. I don't, I don't, I don't, you know, maybe as relatives, I don't know, right? right? But, you know, in terms of... Well, I was 19, so I didn't think about that at all. Yeah, okay, <laughs> right, well, well, dude, okay, yeah. maybe that's a topic we can talk about is, okay, the male brain at age 19. Now. I would think yes. about it now, but 19, yeah. Well, dude, so I mean, and that's, that's a spooky thing about culture, too, of for how much we talk, okay, whether we're depositing new ideals, old ideals, new art, or new morality, or whatever it may be, how much of it is just a, a, a limited capacity of, what do you call it, I guess... With it, is it like the would you call it like the limited capacity load or like what's actually the limiting factors? I guess that's okay. what it is. The limiting factors of human production are that well, when we're young, we're pretty ignorant and stupid. Is that that's not hyperbole? Is it? That's not no. insulting? Is it? Like that's honest. I think. No, we're very stupid. right, right, very ignorant. You know, you don't like. When I, I think sh- about myself from ten or even five years ago. Yeah, especially five years ago. <laughs> yeah, like, dumbass. Yeah, kind of. And, and then I think I do but, have this. But that's not even that long. But that's nothing. Five right. Years, and I think about like, well, that. in five years, I'm going to think of myself now as a dumbass. I would so, hope. And maybe, maybe, maybe in the you know back to if we kick it back to Nietzsche, like the whole you know his sentiments between Schopenhauer's educator to Eke Homo of like ah you know he said one of the things that disappoints disappoints him the most is that 
uh, he inevitably sees that philosophers contradict themselves. Mm-hmm. And it's like, okay, are they actually contradicting themselves or just is it their minds changing over time because they're taking in new information? You know what I mean? Like, yeah, what an allegation, Nietzsche. Well, <laughs> I mean, I don't know. It's, I guess, what was... How, okay, let me ask you this. How disappointed do you think he was in people and in the non-existence of God and a lot of things? Because I've heard, you know, I think I might have taken it more for granted back when, but I've definitely considered more like, okay, by all accounts, it seems he, he did have a point in his life where he believed and he believed pretty hard. Or maybe he at least wanted to believe and he went along with it as a youth. Yeah. Because I know he also, he says it boldly of like, haha, I've, you know, I never believed all along. And it's like, <laughs> it's a, no, and he said, well, he says that like he says a lot of shit where it's just like, all right, a little bit like, all right, Nietzsche, like, I, look, 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 right. I think, I think, you know, you're, you're, you're a genius and you're all these things. But. Okay. So, so did Nietzsche ever believe in God? Um, well, I mean, so there is, is the story, youth, there is the story poetry, that yad, yad, when he was that. a young man that he, um, that he like memorized all the hymns and the Bible verses. Like, Maybe he was trying to please to, his elders well, to an extent. Yeah. So that's it what could you could be a say. lot of it. Like I think conformity, though that, a lot of stuff like that I pressure. What my intuition tells me mm-hmm. is that when Nietzsche's writing later about being a free spirit, okay. what I, what I've taken away of like one of the main things about the free spirit is that it's not somebody who flits from idea to idea. Yes, it's not in the a time thing. of a free thinker or in the type of a free thinker that we would it's call the opposite of. It's basically like you dig in as deep as you can go with a given ideology or you commit as hard or you fully explore that. And I think maybe yes. just perhaps. So so then be, according to that, he talks about passing from conviction to conviction that you it, it doesn't necessarily mean you like completely reject or repudiate the thing you believed in before. But basically, whatever your value structure was, right. you so thoroughly embrace that and explore that and comprehend that. And realize that in your life. There's another line, and uh, it's one of the um, the miscellaneous epigrams in Beyond Good and Evil, where he says, "Whoever reaches his ideal transcends it." Ao ipso, ao ipso, meaning by that very token. Right. So, by the act of completely realizing your ideal, you transcend it. And what? So, what does that mean? It. What I've always taken that to mean is that that's the way that you pass through conviction to conviction. That you, you know. So, for example, in the past, I was a libertarian. I okay, no, no, no. so thoroughly gotcha. explored every logical aspect of libertarianism. Right. Until the what was left of it. Until until I got down to the to the very bedrock of it where I said, okay, this non-aggression principle that lays at the heart of this is wrong. There is no, uh, you know, uh, there is no society where aggression does not take place in order right. to maintain the peace. That's the, and to, and to me, the larger structure is always the evolutionary arms race. Uh, right, like, right. You have a, you have individual level selection, but there's also group level selection yes. where the successor. Or, and so on that on that level, you could talk about the market, for example. So when they talk about a free market, it's often opposed to the state. Like the less state that you have interfering with the market, the right. more free you are. I came to see it the other way. That wait a minute, the market is created by the state because if you don't have some sort of leviathan, as Hobbes called it, to intercede into human nature. Because human nature, it's not like everyone's just doing evil things right. all the time. Well, real quick, Leviathan is actually a really, it's a serious word because Leviathan basically in the Hebrew Bible is like the one thing that God feared. It's the one thing. I mean, he, he served many purposes, but the way he's presented is it's almost like the one thing beyond God. It's the one thing that 
it's it's this titanic force yes. that like can strike fear in anyone. Yes. And so you look at a situation where there's no Leviathan. Oh, and so what I was going to say is like really what the Leviathan is for. It's not, or or the reason why Hobbes describes the state in that way and describes human nature. When people say Hobbesian view of human nature, they mean a negative view. Usually, but yeah. it's not that. I I don't think Hobbes thinks we're going to be evil all the time, but it's the uh, the idea of the prisoner's dilemma, right? Sure. Where you and I are in a situation where screwing you over might be the logical thing to do, right? And so in that case, that's how people are going to behave, where they're going to follow their self-interest. And so you need something to say, no, now your self-interest is to work in the, the, towards the ends of the community or right. observe the rules of the community. Again, uh, the terms constraining so many mutually hostile forces, how else do you bring those all together? Right. And so to, be, to maintain any kind of semblance of a culture or right. civilization or a... And so I, I, I guess, so in my development, it's like when you really looked at like libertarianism and the idea of the free market, what I realized is like, okay... The idea of a free market is the idea of a market under a state because a stateless market is not a free market. What that resembles is like northern Mexico Unregulated. where you have multiple cartels who are like they have no leviathan over them. So then what is, arms race. <laughs> what, is their, what is their logic then in that situation? It's, oh, well, I don't need to compete with you based on price or product quality. I can just kill you. Yeah. Why not? And uh, so that's how those conflicts then get washed Human out. Human civilization. And, right. And, <laughs> well, and, that's what well, we, but, I mean, in theory, that's what we're trying about, to if stop, you were lived in, if, you, if you're buying drugs from that cartel, right. um, you don't get to say, excuse me, this is not the quality that I ordered right. of cocaine. This has been cut with baby powder. I didn't pay for this. You have no one to appeal to if there's fraud no, or anything like that. I'm just ama- imagining if Americans had to deal with anything like, like a Karen most going anything, to the cartel. Most anything boss. like that. I would just if we had like um, Americans lose me, their sir. shit, lose, like, lose their shit over the small like. Excuse would, me, sir. This is not the amount. This is I ordered a kilogram. So anyway, come uh, with nodos, not aspirin. Come on, right? <laughs> and so I forget. Oh, so I was just sort of yeah. So that was just going down my personal development where it's like I took libertarianism through and followed that conviction through to the end. Okay. Let me ask uh, you basically this saying this is where I followed all of those presuppositions through and came to that up to that wall where I said, no, actually there are areas where aggression is needed. The market's needed, et cetera, et cetera. And how long, how long were you thinking and questioning and reading and experimenting and whatever it may have been in this domain? How long the years? Five, six, seven years, I would say. Right. So you politically, I was in that persuasion. Right. So this isn't where you're not. You're not talking a, tal- a shallow take on something. You're not talking like no, a quick in and out. I was. I, this informed how I voted for president for two election cycles. But I like see into my mind. Nietzsche speaks about um, where is it? He says it a few times. Of what is it? It's uh, kind of like oh to. I guess when he, when he talks a lot about life as an experiment and that to take something and to hold it and take it apart so lovingly and put it back together and to basically exhaust it until there's almost nothing left for you. Mm. And then at that point, you're actually ready to move on to something else or, yes. you know what I mean? Like, it's yeah. because what else is there for you there? And it's like, if you already did your homework and 
kind of like at that point, it's almost like maybe at that point you're your own Leviathan in that domain. And it's mm-hmm. like, yeah, what else, you know, what's, what's someone going to tell you that you hadn't explored in the course of all these years, you know, uh, you know, assuming you were rigorous, right. In your methodology and, you yes. know, again, not a shallow evaluation. I've heard you, I, I'm not sweating. Well, and so, so that, so then going back to your, I think original question that hmm. we went through that whole thing on, I think the reason why Nietzsche has that insight into that is how we actually learn and progress. I think the reason why is because I think he had a genuine belief in Christianity when he was a kid and that he so thoroughly explored that question that he moved beyond that conviction in the same way. And then that gives him the insight. That's how human beings progress. And the reason why I say that particularly is because in, I believe, Genealogy of Morals, the preface, he talks about how when he was a kid, he pondered the problem of evil. So if you're going to really fully immerse yourself in Christianity, you have to engage with the problem of evil because yes. that's the oldest freaking problem. He wrote some af- quite a few aphorisms on the evil ones too and, right. and at least ones that pertain if he doesn't directly Well, I mean, them. and it's been the hobby horse of every Christian philosopher for like a thousand years. So you have to... Well, and, and what Nietzsche... And a- atheists as well, right? And like, what Nietzsche says biggest... is he, like, as a Christian youth, he, he said, well, where did... He asked himself, where does evil come from? And he concluded, uh, well, God must be the source of evil. And Christianity has always had kind of a weird relationship with that. You know, like there's the, uh, the oh. age-old apologetic where they say, well, evil is simply the absence of God in the same way that oh, darkness no. is the absence oh, of light. God. Oh, dude, the things get so muddy so, he, so quickly. Right. No, because, I mean, taking it as seriously as possible, it's just, I don't know, watching, watching religion and God in the hands of, like, religious people and theologians, it, it, it really, it, a lot of times it's touching. Really, and I don't. I'm not trying to be cruel or like mean. Cute, adorable, you mean? No, I mean touching as in like, oh Jesus, they're in over their heads. Like, oh. what are like these people are preaching to people? And I guess, and again, and to be beholden to a dream, I could say maybe it would be nice. And, and I, I can't imagine you know uh, doing that because, like I said, I you know, by the time I read it, and like Nietzsche, to a certain degree, I can say this. And what Nietzsche, a lot of what Nietzsche did for me is is like the point of knowledge is something useful and not just dead weight is like he actually he kind of it kind of was a nudge nudge hey you're not as crazy as others might have made you. <laughs> right, you know and right, I think right. and then I think like even going well, it's further that example with it. we were talking about with the Schopenhauer as educator essay it's like sure. Nietzsche shows you yes. yes hey I've I've been like that was what I loved about that essay the most and I actually I think you said earlier that was the first thing you read by Nietzsche yeah first that thing ever probably I, one of the last things I read by Nietzsche damn that's, that's and, interesting and um and so it's very fun now, like, there's really nothing I haven't read by Nietzsche other than, like, some letters fate and, this and history. And that. Oh. I haven't really read the letters. I'm not really interested in it. You know what I mean? Like, a lot of that stuff. I've heard to read I Am Dynamite, of... and then I saw the, some posts on the subreddit where people said, it's not that good. The base, well, I for, think, I, honestly, I think. Former bass player of Destroyer of Light read it. He said it was great. Um,. But sure. I, I, I mean, kind of like I'd, know I'd, I'd the approach st- it, but I, you know, right. I mean, I would openly. I know the story already, so I don't know if I need to you feel read satisfied. The I'll say this: like, look, I feel like Nietzsche is one of the few. I feel like artists where it really is like I am satisfied with your body. It's like it's like when you if you see if you have a good movie and they start making sequels or remakes, it's like no, no, just leave it. <laughs> like Nietzsche, Nietzsche was fine. Like Nietzsche said what he needed to say. And I thought that was, you know, it's like, there it is. You know, it's there for people to discern and understand if they can, if they try, right? I don't, you know, yeah. <laughs> draw, draw a line between the two. But I think we were talking about some of the methodology of, um, you know, you have an idea and you exhaust it. 
and maybe maybe you still use it maybe it still serves you or maybe you leave it by the roadside you know mm-hmm. um yeah i don't know i mean but that's kind of like so what you were talking about earlier the situation that we're in oh sure um or just the general malaise as i see it is like we're in this atomization of culture I- where there's a oh, million vaporized, ideas vaporized like, yeah and they're coming out in here and we're, we're, we're adding to it um <laughs> like you think uh quality content right but it's sort of so i don't know it, it makes me wonder is that even is being a, a freigeist in the way nietzsche talked about it even really possible today um, is it more possible than ever? I don't know. I mean, I, I don't does, have to honestly, be cynical. No, honestly, yeah. it does. It does to a certain degree. It does seem more possible than ever, and in the sense that you know, if attention is the currency, it's like, well, that's what we're seeking. And I suppose it depends on the motive of you know, just questioning: Is it actually healthy? Mm-hmm. You know, what are the people seeking? Um, and I guess that goes for both creators and consumers, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a question of is being a cons- and i guess maybe maybe this is part of it is how much how much of our idealism does posit something that not everyone can have and then when people actually feel that distinction of oh no i can't do this or oh no certain things aren't for everyone or oh no we're not all equal like what's what are you left with is that where resentment really grows like i'm not you know mm-hmm. i guess it varies person to person but you know i can see um well, I, I don't think there's a clear... Uh, so one of the things Nietzsche talks about culture doing in this like period of his essays is that it, it, it provides a clear image to basically raise people above the world of the animals. Um, but, I mean, implied throughout is that this requires some sort of, like, some sort of clear picture of man. Um... And so, you know, the examples we talked about before, he gives the examples of Rousseau, Goethe, and Schopenhauer. Right. Rousseau. The three models of... Right. It's like you you become the contemplative man like Goethe, you're the revolutionary like Rousseau, um, or you're the heroic solitary philosopher like Schopenhauer. But all three of them are basically... They have something that they're pointing to. So in the case of the revolutionary, it's like there's a better tomorrow. Right. And that's that's a dream that's artistic because as we talked about in reality history seems to be cyclical and you seem to see this rise and fall of empires and this age of intellectualism that happens at the end of them uh what people call decadence or whatever the hell you want to call it right uh and yet at the same time the revolutionary posits no there's something beyond that History doesn't have to simply be these cycles that never seem to end. We can break through no. to a better tomorrow. We're going to put an end to it. But, but you know who key, else said that? The key th- Agent Smith in The Matrix. He was really upset <laughs> about having to live in this human world. And I mean this seriously. Well, and he, he wants to make everyone all the same like him. He's yes. like an uh, He's a computer virus. Yeah, he's a computer virus who destroys machines and humans alike. And that's, okay, if we liken all this, if that's our artistic vision, like we'll kick it to The Matrix for a sec. You know, if that's your artistic vision... Um, you know, it's, it's, I don't know, <laughs> it, it poses a serious uh, question for the future of, um, you know, I guess, cause I, I've mentioned it before, but he really is big brother's bean counter. He really is the fundamental, like, I don't like this. We need to put a lid on it or a straight jacket on it or a, mm. 
you know what I mean? Like it needs to stop. It's bad. I hate it. If, you know, to a certain degree, it's very Christian, um, right. you know, uh, put an end to the phenomenal world and okay. the sinfulness and how and disgusting I guess, it right? is. Right. And then we're back to, in a very, very real sense, also Plato or Socrates and Plato. Right. Uh, right. Cause well, and that's the thing with Schopenhauer is that he's basically, he's pointing to a certain elevation of mankind because man is reimagined as the savior of nature. That basically, it's still based on on devaluing all of this very real world around us yes. and saying this is just mere phenomena and that man can be redeemed from this world by the sake of his reason and his willpower. Um, so it's like, as a Nietzschean, <laughs> you can look at that and say, well, that's very unappealing to me. But I think Nietzsche in Schopenhauer as educator, what he's pointing to that's really important is how saying like that vision of mankind is still like a transcendent vision. It's still a vision where mankind right. moves beyond just being another one of the animals that's blindly well, following one his thing's will. Cl- you need the art. You need the vision. That's what's cl- it's clear. You need the vision, right? The vision right. can't be to end the vision. That is bad art, right? Like well, that's your right. That's against will. I mean, it's will to power negating itself. In a yes. Sense. Yes. And it's. You know, okay, uh, I don't know, thinking about uh, Schopenhauer and honestly, because, like, I guess I don't necessarily, assume, you know, him, uh, Tron, or however you pronounce his name, you know, E.M. Yeah, Tron. Uh, yeah. Uh, the, like, I think about those guys, and they, I don't necessarily think of themselves as pessimists because a lot of what they say is quite beautiful, and it tre- it tends towards the, re- the redemption. It's just... Everything else they say is often so horrible, and right. so you know reveals. They're redeemed in, from what? It's they're saying you well, need to be I mean. redeemed okay. from this world, and, and that's, that's what I mean their own. Th- but that's what that's this. That's okay. No, great. We, we, we've arrived at the point. Like, what is it in the first place that was so bad? Mm-hmm. You know, like, and I guess, and to my mind, it's like, well, it's because it's painful here, right? Yeah. Like, it's part of the experience. And then I think of Schopenhauer, and it's like, okay. It's, you know, he, did he, do you know if he actually thought or believed his dad was a suicide? Um, I think it was rumored to be a suicide. Right. So you know I don't what know he whether he believed, he I don't actually know whether curious. he believed it. Right, but he sure, he certainly heard, I'm sure that, I'm certain that Schopenhauer was aware that some people said his dad's death was a suicide. Right. I don't know what he believed personally about it. Right. I could, I could see him. I could see him not really get in a certain, re- in a very real sense. Again, if I can see Schopenhauer like Nietzsche saw him, at least to whatever degrees I can, it's like I could see him in a very real sense not giving a damn. But also, I think well, it's of, interesting. He says suicide's not morally permissible. And that well, it, that he wouldn't be okay with. Yes. right. But I was whereas, thinking, like, I mean, and I. But wait, wait, brought, wait, oh, wait, wait. Why though? Wait, wait. Hold on. No, yeah, I almost, I almost let that go. Because then it's like, well, what's the big deal, man? You know, um, right? Well, you're, that, the, the, you're the one who's making such a big deal about this in the first place. If it's so painful well, and if and it's so bad, I he think, but because I think he genuinely believes life, like the world as will, will continue on regardless of whether you exist or not. Like in a very real sense, in like a Buddhist world, you're just going to get reincarnated into something else. Could be unless fun. you. Oh, right. Well, that's that's, that's the thing is like, so if you put, if you put like the difference between Nietzsche and Schopenhauer in Buddhist terms, if somebody is actually familiar with Buddhism, it's hilariously easy to explain. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. You just tell them, well, Nietzsche is pro Samsara. Right, right, right. (laughs) 
he's yes, like he let Maya spin the illusion, right? Yeah, like, he's like he's like uh, yeah, I am for Maya, I'm for Mara, the god of death, I'm for all of that. Right. Um, now, granted, he has his right, which own... I, which all which and and to be clear, I guess there are distinctions in like so much of Buddhism isn't original. It's it's actually in a lot because a lot of it. Well, here's the funniest thing, because the boot, like the Buddha himself, was not a Hindu, right? He was a completely different clan. Right. They had their own. They believed in snake people and shit, like very different than a lot of Hindu belief. And they, if I'm not mistaken, they were considered dirty amongst the Hindus. So by the time you have a Buddhism, a more modern schools of Buddhism that have all these things, you see that like Buddhism and Indian culture both exist in contraposition to each other, because within Hinduism. Remember, they said, okay, we'll take the Buddha, but he's going to be a... We can take the Buddha if he's a the, what, 13th a- avatar of Vishnu. Right, and Buddhism's yeah. like, yeah, we'll take the Hindu deities if they serve, if they're they bow just, down to the, yeah. the Dharma, you know? Right. So Ultimately, they, they're just illusory beings. Or yes. Yeah. But, you know, uh, sorry, getting sidetracked. It's just, it's, it's fast, like, trust me, this stuff has fascinated me for a very long time. Um, you know, uh, back to the, the Schopenhauer aspect of... It is well, right. So that's I, almost I the think tale that's hard like to he catch. believes in rebirth, but not from like a cosmological religious thing. I think it's just that he thinks if the world as it really is as will and your individual life, Recycle the world as material. you as the, yeah, the world as you see it in your individual life is just this representation uh, through the sense like, organs. That reality just exists insofar as you exist but if you cease to exist that's just you temporarily blinking out of existence like the will is still there and right. since that is what everything is right that's the driving it's right? undivided that's the, driving, that's the engine in this train well it's the engine but it's like it's what you are just as much as everything else right. it really is Schopenhauer so you brought up Buddhism and Hinduism the difference there but he's also in line with like Advaita Vedanta right. and the Upanishads and basically the idea you are literally synonymous with everything else in the world it's, it's pretty, just it's your mind good. it's good don't give me all that poses this phenomenology of there being separate objects but in reality there's no separate objects right and you and again you see that in the animal but what that means in the case of like buddhist rebirth is when you die that's just an object passing away just like all objects arise mm-hmm. and pass away but since you're part of everything else you're going to continue on willing and so in practical terms what that means right. is yeah you just recycle material like you said um, like in, in the uh, certain Hindu texts that Schopenhauer quotes, he says, he talks about one Hindu text that says when a man dies, his eyes become the sun okay. and his ears become like, you know, the mountains and his nose becomes the wind. I don't remember, you know, his mouth becomes the ocean. Like you, all of your sense, Again, senses it's, it's, merge it's with everything else. It's quite the vision, is it not? Like who, okay, uh, I, don't, you know, I, don't, I don't know if I've heard on, to the degrees that a lot of our modern stories are retellings or old tellings of old stories it's like yeah that's pretty good you know uh mm-hmm. in terms of a cosmology and a mythos um it's really right. hard to top especially with the modern shallow stuff let me ask you this real quick and i know we're getting off topic of an off top but it's fine yeah um going back to real quick ah oh, shoot what was it um dang i might have lost it well well really quick sure. while you think of that the reason why schopenhauer is against suicide is for that reason because he's like, you're basically, to put it in boost terms, you're just going to get re- reincarnated anyway. Okay, see, this confirms my suspicions, though, because, look, I, 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 look I'm not going to put Schopenhauer in a box just like I'm not going to put Nietzsche in a box. I'm never going to, like, even though I think you can on, on very real things, in general, I wouldn't, like, I think it'd be disrespectful to the man to a certain degree, right? Mm-hmm. And that's that I think of Kurt Vonnegut's Jr. writing on uh, Sons of Suicide, 
where he says that, you know, what sons of suicide suspect is that they themselves might be suicide and how much the reality is of, of, even if it's not that, like what happened to his dad? He just died some random night. Like, I don't, you know, the questions of how it affected his psyche, but I'm wondering if he really, if it, if the thought of suicide did occur to him as such, if it was because maybe he attributed it to his dad and maybe, you know, it just, to whatever degrees it affected him. Well, you think about it like, okay. I'm going to complete, create a complete fictional narrative about Schopenhauer and his dad. Sure. But it's, it's a possibility. <laughs> well, when you put it like it's that, a it possi- sounds insane. It's a, it's, a po- it's a possibility that we could consider. So Schopenhauer, we know for a fact, goes and he works as a clerk for, yeah, he's he planning it. to do it for four years, but he gets off a little early, but he hates it, as you say. So he's like, fuck, I have to go do the business world. But he endured it. And one day his time came and he got to go be a philosopher. His dad, meanwhile, just is doing the business world. Right. So now imagine if he commits suicide, or maybe he does or maybe he doesn't, but maybe Arthur Schopenhauer mm. thinks his dad committed suicide, and he, then he goes and endures the business world and doesn't commit suicide. Right. I could see him later in his adult life basically saying, fuck you, because a lot of people are very angry towards their suicidal... Right. Uh, relative, relatives who commit suicide, especially like there, you know, I had to deal sure. with what you had to deal with, right? But I didn't kill myself, right? And I, it's because I realized, based on the principles, sufficient reason, and all these things, that I shouldn't kill myself. Um, but I don't know. I, I kind of get no, that impression. No, 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 no. no I, I think that's 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 also a valid read. Because then, actually, that's what I was thinking. That maybe it was the opposite direction. Maybe maybe it uh, further bolstered him, right, in that opposite direction. Oh, okay. Regardless of how his thoughts of his dad affected him, it was, it was kind of more like a middle finger of going like, Hey, you know, I could not necessarily that he could make it through it, but I don't know how, how I I couldn't tell you how much Schopenhauer did he write? I I didn't, I didn't read his journal, you know, his diaries. How much did he write about his dad? How much is he, how old was he when his dad died? Uh, he would have been teenager. Right. I believe so. Late teenager. Yeah. And either way, it's like, here he is. And how old was Nietzsche when his dad died? five or six jesus and then and then he was stuck and then he was stuck with his sister and his mother who by all accounts weren't like the most like (laughs) i don't i don't know uh functional or healthy family you could have i suppose or maybe they they had their i guess they had their um their own fantasy of what the ideal family in germany might look like yeah well i don't know i wonder (laughs) i wonder what they must have thought of nietzsche i mean oh you think they were impressed with him probably well, c- probably to some extent, but also he must have been seen as something of a weirdo as well once he started going to live by himself, like left the university and went to live by, by oh, myself. Oh, yeah, and to the degrees that, I don't know, I, I think, you know, the, the, the way the way culture was much stricter even back in his time, you know, it's easy to take that for granted, right, that despite him being able to say what he said, um, I think because you know, I think part of why he got away with this because he wasn't crude and he was very elegant and all these other things, right? He didn't just say like I think Germans are stupid, you know. Right. And, and he, he actually he does never... say that a couple times, yeah, right? I think. But he, it's so it's so eloquent, it's so right. beautiful. It's yeah. hard to be mad at the guy, right? Yeah. You know, whatever it is. Uh, <laughs> I think there, but I do think there no, are, does. for the record, a couple lines where he does yes, just write no, Germans dude, are dude, stupid. It's, a, it's hilarious. <laughs> so his commentary on the Germans is hilarious. Yeah. Like, like no, no offense to any Germans or Nordics, it doesn't matter, right? Like it's. Right. Uh, Ancient history, as far as I'm concerned, right? Right, right, right. Um, Yeah, it might as well be. Mm -hmm. No, no, because, you know, it's like a creature, like, living is, uh, 
modern people are creatures in the here and now, you know, like to whatever degrees the world had changed from Schopenhauer to Nietzsche's time and then from Nietzsche's mm-hmm. time to our time uh, in terms of what we can see here is in terms of what's transpired. Um, I almost remembered the, the other point. Um, well, I mean, it did, it, what you just said made me think of sure. like how we were originally talking about that Nietzsche's concerns with culture that he has really do seem like they could be written about today. Oh, um, the whole the whole thing be, reads as present tense, right? Yeah, for sure. I mean... Not necessarily the whole thing, but... You, <laughs> yeah, no, but I mean... It, 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 I don't know. There is like a... I guess one of the things we haven't talked about yet... Um, and it is getting a little cold, so maybe we could wrap it up um, after this topic or shortly thereafter. Sure. <laughs> uh, but we'll... Um, it, it's the idea of intellect and accumulation of little bits of knowledge or technical knowledge in one direction towards one discipline as like a substitute for culture. Like in that that's what's going on in the universities because he previously sees all of our universities and all these liberal institutions as being the place where you do get educated like in the way broad, full sense of education we were talking about earlier. Now that that's not happening, that's what's he, taken place. You're talking about, and, and you're talking about Nietzsche referencing these things, right? Because I think in the course of his larger works moving on, like even later from Schopenhauer as educator, uh, those arcs are still there of... Um, because I think it fits into a lot of his commentary on like a pragmatic utilitarian society. Right. You know, his commentary, whether it's the working class or the tradesmen, never mind concerns for their well-being and all these other things that he saw as overrated because he's like, you know, I think he really does express... Uh, is it genealogy or human all to human? It's somewhere in there, I, if I recall correctly. Um, but where he talks about like, you know, or no, it's just the gay science, I think. But it's it's him saying like what, you know, they don't, he basically saying like, I'm I'm not going to write in support of them because they don't need my support. Mm-hmm. Everyone is mm-hmm. like, the, the this is like, what do you call it? This is the alibi for everybody right now. <laughs> you know, right, it's right. almost like the way... I think in the, the 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 analog in modern America is that this is you know I guess what like victimhood. This is um, regardless of any history, like any transgressions, real or imagined. It's like it's kind of that same dynamic, right? Of whether it's um, you know, okay. Let me let me ask you this: like, imagine someone wronged your dad. You know, your your great 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 grandfather. Mm-hmm. They wronged you like a million years ago. Or a thousand years ago or a hundred years ago. This is probably a terrible thing to say and now you're going to get canceled. But like, you know, and imagine that you, because of that, you can't live your life in any kind of, I don't know, emotional regulation or stability or happiness or I don't know. Right. You know what I mean? And maybe that is the that's internalized. hard for me to imagine, to and be may, honest. And may, well, maybe that's, you know, in terms of a joyous <laughs> science versus right. internalized, I don't know, you know, because you could, you, could, you could probably call it more whether it's mental illness or trauma or whatever right. it is, it's like clearly someone, and I would say, you know, in terms of modern psychoanalysis or psychotherapy, it's like, yeah, you know, they, they would say, you know, be honest about your feelings here. Where do these things even come from? You know, are, well, is it the world's fault you're I, unhappy and afraid all the time? This is where I question the material like basis of culture versus culture as a driver of the material world where I wonder, because I think what happens is people look at the current material distribution of wealth which means the distribution of power, right? And then they say, well, this is unfair or unfairly weighted against this group or that group or just unfair in general. And then they look historically, what is the reason why this is? 
I don't know that anyone, like, actually has, like, a personal conviction and, like, my great-great-grandfather was wronged. But they come to see themselves as part of a broader group of, like, we were all wronged and it's, like, a class-action lawsuit, basically. Yes, sure. Uh, But, and that is, the intention of that is to, like, right a wrong. But I I do disagree whenever people say, like, hasn't this gone too far? And I'm like, I don't think it's really a case of it going too far because I think... To some extent, what I just described is broadly what they used to call social justice. Now people see social justice as just a bad word. But that used to be, I mean, they used to talk about the social question. Nowadays we talk about like wealth inequality or inequality. It was broadly called the social question. Remember the hole in the ozone layer? That turned into global warming. Well, I'm talking about like Victorian era when they talked about like our terms for things like wealth inequality. They would say it's the social question. And so social justice was the idea of... Uh, some form of egalitarianism to right the past wrongs and the distribution of resources. Uh, what I would almost say, because that's the thing, the attack most Nietzscheans take is to attack that. And they're like, that's, no. you're just generating resentment. Where, whereas what I say is, I don't think that the current, like, what would you call like victim culture that we have, I don't think it's actually generated from the grassroots, from the people who are trying to right wrongs based on injustices. I think what it is, is actually comes from the guilt of the upper class. I agree. No, I, I agree. And, and I think they've been selling it for a very long time. So, and not, so I think, and to the point where I would say that's the driving force, even if there is, and so they hijack the urge for social justice yes. or the Marxist urge for redistribution of, well, to seize the means of production or the distributist urge for redistribution. However, I hate all these labels. <laughs> yeah, sure. sure. <laughs> <laughs> I see you're getting tired. <laughs> Just going, oh, God. Fucking jargon. Right. No, no, but, because it, it's so it, – a lot of it is interchangeable. A lot of it has shifted over time. A lot but of I it, think, like, the ultimate thing that we saw was, like, the CIA running you can, a, and an you can ad keep moving of, the, the mark, um, too. You like, can, did, did you hear or see the CIA ad of the woman who was, like, listing off her identity? Group? Oh, I did. Yeah. I did. Oh, no, no, no. I saw that. Would you, okay. So when I saw that, I'm like, wow, you know, like – It's like this is one of the most powerful institutions on it. Yes, and it's a dangerous – dangerous one and it's got a sundry history and it's like this is the face of that but it's like is this but that's the thing that's that's actually the most powerful organization but they're purveying this morality of weakness we care and we're harmless and look we support diversity right (laughs) and it's like wait a minute but that they're not just saying that but they're, they're saying look Look what embodies us. The modern CIA agent is this woman who's from so, marginalized and then, groups. Are, and then so in a way, we're the not past. the most powerful people. We're oh. actually the marginalized people because they're the ones who are being given uh, a voice. See, well, this is this is the pro- you again. You can't. Th- this is this is where America has its reckoning because you just can't right. have your cake and eat it too. This right. is the this that's, is but old. that's what it is. This is old. It's the most powerful organizations. We'll see, and that's the thing. That's what I saw. Well, I, I've seen it for a long time as. You know, because again, people do attribute it to the underclass, and it's like, look, plenty of them aren't that intelligent. Like, I, I, I've seen them, I've lived there, I know them. Right. Like, you know. Uh, well, I mean, I do believe in the case of, like, for example, like when you look at like the West Virginia mine wars and stuff. Well, like that. there were there were unions and people who organized right. in the past for genuine like class struggle. But the thing is, like, what what would you call it? the identity concerns are not class based now, right? I mean, a lot of the times we're talking about people. Technically, who are, they should. It's more closer to anything we might call, I think, like justice truth or, or whatever. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. It would be closer to a more accurate right. assessment. But I look. Uh, with, sorry, I interrupted you. Oh that. no, that's fine. I, I just was gonna. I was gonna throw out this idea real quick because uh, it might uh, change change the conversation of um, just. Uh, you know, I, I don't know if it does come from on high. You know, if it's what is it? Is it is it their way of diffuse? You know, um, what do you call it? 
it's it's all you know on back to, we're back to a constraining hostile forces of if this is what the zeitgeist is if this is what's happening in the larger zeitgeist and you know is anyone even okay let me ask you this is anyone like who's actually at the head of the snake is anyone even consciously aware of because it's such a you know no well civilization so, is, yeah, so look at huge. it like this the um like liberals in the sense of liberal democracy so not liberals in the sense of the american left but uh, right. people who are liberal in their thought, who believe in the liberal project, broadly do separate in America into the left wing and the right wing. And I think more than any meaningful political distinction, what this really represents is a difference in temperament where the right wing liberal more or less says the benefits of all of this exploitation are mine to reap and you can go fuck yourself. The left wing liberal says, very callous. says, bless me, father. For I have sinned, I have a marble countertop. Yes. Okay. And I order from Amazon, and I didn't use my paper straw. Man, we actually, but and we, so I'm going to do five Hail Marys and self-flagellate and all that. And they get off on not getting off, and that's why it's a constant... See, this is the thing. This this is we, why, we've come that far, then. Like, when you put it, when you put it that... Putting it that frankly, it's like, yes, we have come that far. Right? That much is clear. Right. You know, versus where once upon a time, it was the Christian, right, who wanted to put a, li- a straight jacket on everything, right? Well, sure, like, but, but uh, I mean, I guess my point is, to. like, it's, it's still a contradiction. This is, this is... What I'm saying is heavily Marxist, so maybe that'll get me canceled. But uh, it's... it's uh, even though I'm not... I don't identify more support as a Marxist. <laughs> Mar- I don't identify as a Marxist, but it's a heavily Marxist critique of liberalism... That they're both liberals. They're both just yeah, different oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. fundamental and, expressions and of, I, I, of temperament. I'd argue we're not that individualistic in the first, right. and then that we're not that, that we well, are fairly collectivist. I think, I think and... American liberals on the left are still fairly committed to individualism. Do they just they have the more fully articulated version than the conservatives, where they say, "Well, no, yeah, okay. for everyone to fully be an individual right. based on merit, we have to reconcile these past wrongs and recompense well, people." I thought of Nietzsche real quick. Uh, Nietzsche, in terms of being as relevant as ever, his thoughts on the left and the right of Europe at the time: the 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 right doesn't want to think, and the left doesn't want to work. <laughs> like, you know, right. and, and I'm not you know, and it's not it's not one to one because it's you know it's it's not to paint my, a broad my way of saying it in America but, that I've said completely independently of hearing that because uh, I don't remember when he just says that uh, but I remember I've said the other day that the right is stupid and the left is crazy and that's, oh, that's, well, that's like pretty good too where <laughs> Cra- crazy it's not that they don't want to work it's that they can't work right. <laughs> good enough no. right well yeah well the left because the oh, left is a lot of things they're not it stupid let's go to the psychological principle of it though so if you have a government that's actually promoting this kind of rhetoric and this means it reminds me of like I think it's Freud's thoughts on you know, you would say the dis- dysfunctional mother and the dysfunctional child, where mm. the mother, the you know, the mother wants to keep the baby in the nest. Let's say, you know, control the baby, um, and the baby, it does. The baby doesn't even realize the choice it's making when it allows the mother, and it happily allows the mother to override as well, whether that's for a short term or up till they're, God knows how old, right? Mm. But they're they're both complicit in this, regardless of whether or not. That they understand their actions and how they affect one another. Okay. And I wonder how much of this political situation is any different. Like on, but just on, a, it would be on a larger scale. And I don't know how you completely measure that. But oh, well, you know what I mean. I mean if, broadly speaking, I think most of our politics are driven by things like unconscious, like archetype association, like our R two. Damn. Well, <laughs> right well, back well, to well think one. about think about this. I mean, uh, a lot of the time the left-wing regard for left-wing political figures is to unconsciously identify with them because what they really enjoy about AOC for example is watching her 
tear in to an evil Republican on a fiery ramp, uh, you know, rampage, you know, or give a fiery right. speech, right? And, and, and slam dunk with her rhetorical points. What people right. loved about Bernie Sanders was seeing him pounding on the podium right. and like See, and yelling George, out all the things to a national audience right. that they would like to yell out. And so that's the thing. Like there is like they psychologically identify with and like a lot of the way you see even the news and especially the left wing news is framed as as though the Democrats are the protagonists. And that's right. because they're a cipher for what – that's how their base thinks of them. Well, I was actually going to say uh, – The Republicans don't think of their, well, their, their leaders the same way. That the Republicans right. no, are right. very smart, but, but they this, do have a different – they have a more suspicious view of their own leaders. This whole Just thing. scary that the Republicans have a more mature view of politics than Democrats now, but sorry. I'll, no, 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 you're right. Yeah. No, no. And like, I, was, I was just thinking this actually – the more – you know – it actually, I guess, thinking of the art aspect of it is that, you know, in recent years, the glut of identifying with the, what do you call it, with the antagonist, right? Mm-hmm. The, the main character now becomes your Tony Soprano, your uh, Brian Cran was a Breaking Bad guy. Yeah. Uh, you know, all that stuff, right? Horrible like, people are the role model in the last <laughs> decade, basically. Yeah, well, they're, 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 the, they're the, at least the anti-hero, the 15, right? The last 15 years oh, and, to a decade. And, yeah. and, it's, and then you said even within the good guy cultures of our, like in the kind of, what do you call it, I guess the, the, the moral role models, even though a lot of it is watered down and very cheap, like, yes, yes, we all know friendship is the real, the real right, thing yeah. that wins the day. Uh, yeah. That kind of cheesy the, stuff. The message of the Avengers. Yeah. Like, they had to learn to work as a team. Uh, that, that teamwork you know. and leadership both very important but yeah. uh, you know especially in a large <laughs> so, industrial so, scale civilization so of a yeah. mess it, it's like it's like vanilla paste of, yeah I know, of, uh, I know I know I know you can almost see like just the gears turning <laughs> right uh, just this industri- industrial modern age like is this is this our encouragement is that really like is is I don't know would um if Mustafa Mons is running the show, let's say, is he like is giving oh, us the superheroes? We didn't talk about Brave New World versus 1984. So Mustafa Mons from Brave New World, he's the character who, at the end of the novel, he's hyper intelligent. He's one of like what ten? Yeah, like something like that. Ten or twelve Were they directors, directors of the whole society, including the CIA, <laughs> which is uh, totally based on hedonism, and everyone is like bred for a certain level of yes. intelligence based on their job. And they're just distracted yeah. all the time by hedonistic pleasures. And basically when Mustafa Mond, who's orchestrating this whole society, is confronted at the end of the novel, uh, he is 100% aware of what they've taken away from people. But basically, how'd you put it later? He's like, yeah, I know how great Shakespeare is, but they don't need that because it will corrupt them. Yes, they can't so, have it. He, dude, I guess, dude, I guess Plato won, you know, in a very real right. sense. Or, or, you know, the, the original models kind of won if, if it really was to constrain so many forces it doesn't really you know you could say the vision the vision really is you could substitute any of them uh it's a question of you know how do how do people live under these systems i guess and how do how do people organize themselves well in the, these, so but the real question er, earlier how before, are they though, 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 though was 1984 versus brave new yes. world and okay i think we both agreed brave new world is closer yes well to- Ni- nietzsche dude well I think Hux, Huxley has Nietzsche's words in there where he says Soma. It's got all the all the benefits of Christianity and alcohol and none of the side effects. It's like, <laughs> that's, that's directly from Nietzsche, as right. a matter of fact. Right. right? Like, uh, and it's just you know, it shows. And it, it just seems to me like take he did the math. All right? He took it to its logical conclusion. And if you know, I guess if if, if Huxley could see it in his time, you know, like Orwell does catch the a lot of the okay like this with. He, okay, I'll put it like this. Orwell thought of two minutes of hate, 
but technically with the phone in your pocket, you can it's have hate all day. Constant hate. Yeah, you can have and hate all day. It's in even shorter doses, but yeah. more of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, right? right there's 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 a lot of ways the technology. Well, it's like yeah, he, surveillance Orwell too. couldn't have even imagined that. That's that's kind of interesting. The NSA. Okay, wait, wait a minute. Wait a minute. <laughs> sure. No, 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 no. Not even the NSA. Like, okay, uh, what you just said with the two minutes of hate. It's like what Orwell couldn't have imagined is that you could have hate going. All, oh, can I have one of those? Absolutely. Thank you. I don't normally smoke. No, I like to smoke from but time to nor- time That myself. just means I smoke other people's cigarettes occasionally. I like to smoke from time to time myself. Matter of fact, I'm feeling extra decadent. Now all the uh, trad conservatives who listen to the Nietzsche podcast are going to be like, they are truly decadent. So, um, no, I mean, well, I think it's important to recognize who you are and where you come from. I mean, in a very real yeah. sense, like... You know, what, what did you find? Yeah, in your, I smoke occasionally, here? deal with it. Um, <laughs> but I quit. Hey, I quit. I'm just doing it right now. Um, but I really don't. I don't I don't buy pack. Like, I used to buy packs of cigarettes all the time. Now I'll have one every once in a while with a friend. Uh, like mine, I hear. So what were we talking about? Oh, that we're justifying ourselves. The two, the, yeah, I'm <laughs> yeah, two minutes myself. of hate. The two minutes of hate. So Orwell couldn't have imagined that the two minutes of hate could be all day, like you said. And then Huxley didn't imagine that hate would be a distraction, like a pleasurable distraction um, in the same way. You know what I'm saying? Like that, like his whole system right. is based on getting absorbed in these pleasures. Yes. And now here people, cause what made me think of that where you're like, you can have that all day. I'm like, well, wait, why would you, because they force everyone to do line up for the two minutes. hate. I'm like, Oh no, no, no. People just sign actively up. sign up and they will go down the rabbit hole of looking after hateful thing, after hateful thing, after hateful well, thing. Cause that's like its own drug. And so it's like, that's its own Soma, Soma's hate. And that really sounds like we're being cynical version. again. We're talking about the, no, no, no. I think, no, I think it's dude. Well, what's it say? What's it say about human behavior for if it's remotely true or even the notion of, um, Again, you have the you have the you have these certain liberties and freedoms that humanity never had before, and then you fall right in line with either consuming hate or just you know just as mind you know just as I guess you know it could be mind blowing as, as producing hate, right? Like that whether you're feeding off the machine. Both. Oh, this is gonna sound really gross, but whether you're feeding off the machine or feeding Sounds like a Nine Inch Nails album. <laughs> I know. <you're> really <laughs> Speaking of nineties nihilistic art, <laughs> well, feeding, feeding off the machine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was on. Uh, it was on the fragile too. That every uh, that the me the, the critics hated, but the musicians loved. Right? <laughs> was, was that the fragile, the double disc one with? Um, oh, I don't remember. I'm not that much of a, a, a Nine Inch Nails nerd. I know the downward spiral. Oh, I know what about his best machine. album? His best. I opinion? liked uh, with teeth. Broken. And... What about Broken? Do you hear that? It's it's like honestly, it's the most metal of all of the. It's. I feel like it's his most pissed off. Like when he was a cracked out lemur, well, sorry, monkey looking on, guy. I feel like I derailed feeding off the machine but oh, if you yeah. want to I, I was just yeah, gonna no, say no. have you heard the, the exotic birds hmm. it was Trent Reznor's like 80s like new wave project it sounds oh, like culture it? club it sounds really? like, yeah it's like super what? like or like upbeat like uh, 80s like club music basically Super cool, dude! I love cheesy shit like that uh, that people did before they did their. Oh, ser- like, how about uh, Pantera then? A uh, White Razor? Have you heard them? Uh, yeah, well, well, no, because there is Pantera. There's like okay, so yeah. the audience who's not a metalhead, there's later era Pantera, which was like a thrash band and one of the like definitive thrash bands. Oh, yeah, before so that, good. they're like a hair metal band. Before that, Phil was in a band called White Razor. That's like full on eighties like right. Dokken, uh striper. Like, yeah, I was thinking what did we call it, but. Well, yeah, I guess any any of those guys, right? Uh. Yeah, 
the proliferation of um, cheap pop. Again, like feeding back to feeding off Fucking, and feeding into uh, the machine. Wait, what's his name? Uh, Peter Steele from Typo Negative was in a band called Carnivore that was just like a garage punk band. Oh, well, that, that, uh, I mean, that makes- even one of the dudes in Fall Out Boy was in a grindcore band, apparently. Okay. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I love, I love, dude, out, dude. It's not about judgment. Like I love the uh, evolution of artists over time, and you see how much how different it can be, and how much they can change, yeah. and, and and how many. Oh, I guess David Bowie is a quintessential example of a. You know, I don't. I don't oh, want to say. I don't want to say musical chameleon. Yeah, yeah. Uh, okay, yeah. You, you said it before. I could. I was going to say a musical chameleon. It's probably, it's probably some fucking rock music cliche or something. Yeah, and I'm not a big fan of it. Honestly, well, I know plenty of people love his disco-y stuff and his more E stuff, but it's like, dude, I, I love, like, my favorite are, like, big, more towards the beginning and towards the end. Which like, is a lot of albums. Yeah, uh, but, you know, Man Who the Sold the World. Well, oh, towards the end. So you mean good. Black Star? Like the well, album oh, no, 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 no. I guess, no. You, that one's actually really fucking good. I did, no, no. From what I've heard of it, it is good. No, so that too, but also even his earlier stuff, like, I'm Afraid of Americans. He did, we were speaking of Trent Reznor, right? right? That's oh, a great yeah, song. With the, yeah, he toured with them and stuff. That's yeah, right. uh, so some of that work. Uh, he did. He did some work with Maynard James Keenan. I think that was like a album. What do you call it? A um, collab. No, uh, yeah, or... collab for a what do you a soundtrack? Soundtrack. Uh, some sort. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, again, feeding them, uh, is it feeding, feeding the machine. Like you know, it's like okay, <laughs> that we, could we, be a tool well, lyric too. Well, we, yeah, we get to benefit from this collaboration because the machine uh, commissioned a song. You know, I right. It's. Um, mm, right, okay. It's a need, yeah, yeah. you know, without being too, because you know, it's our art's art. Whether it's bad art or it's good art, it is art, um, and it says something about us and our condition, regardless whether whether it says what we think it does or what we want it to versus what it really says. Um, but this might be a step away. See, we were we're step away again from um, if we bring it back to 1984 and um, Brave, Brave New, New World. World. Yeah. That's right. Um, the question, my my question is. Um, so what are the again if this is where we're at now the next logical steps of like if we're in the brave new world story this is where i think mustafa would say this is the lost history this is what was nothing but conflict and war yes. for hundreds of years until this is the, thing the governing bodies and technology that. yeah could yeah. really get a hold on it so it is kind of spooky because if no one's really behind the uh behind the scenes or really right. has control of the ship so to speak or it's like walden too like B.F. Skinner wrote, <laughs> you know, the original Walden, Henry David mm-hmm. Thoreau, mm-hmm. Return to Nature. Walden 2 is, what if we can just recreate man's nature? Oh, it's yeah. another thing I said before we were okay. rolling that yeah, relates to this, is that I'm like an anti-transhumanist, I guess. Oh, yes. That I, I And I said I like that term. Right. That I basically think the integration of tech or technology shaping human nature is inevitable, but unlike a transhumanist who thinks it's good and we should lean into that, I'm against it, even though I think it's inevitable. <laughs> well, because so, well, here's the thing, like, I've heard, okay, check it out. I've heard liberals, leftists, you know, they, when they allowed, and these are their words directly, right? It's not a generalization of these are self-identifying and, you know, these are people I've known or seen or heard right over the years. And I've collected a lot of samples, but, you know, I've heard them say things like, you know, if you're the kind of guy who says, you know, I used to have to walk, you know, uh, all right, life used to be much harder. Used people to walk need, uphill yeah, in the snow. Yeah, whatever, whatever it is, right? Yeah. <laughs> like they, they, they see that it, again, like that's like the Christians viewing the Romans as the, the harsh, brutal overlords, right? They see that as tyrannical. They see that whole attitude. But then you look at when, when all of, when all, okay, if, uh, if all of nature is will, and, and if, if will is this can, you know, these myriad of forces without, you know, further defining these vague terms, let's say, uh, and it all serves to shape, you know, one another and the very environment itself. It's hard to say that that technology is not part of that. Yeah, yeah. it's hard to say that 
Well, in this, but I mean, I mean, I feel like okay, but then that could easily, you know, I guess if we're gonna be not let anything go, we would say that's a cop out, right? Well, what it is, and so this is the thing. I'll bring up basically two people here. It's such a huge discussion that we could talk for another yeah. hour about. Oh, no. <laughs> but um, like, so Sam Harris is somebody who's brought that up, where he basically. That, that was his whole th- project with the moral landscape, which is something I totally disagree with. But basically saying there's the odd is problem. Science can't derive like an odd from an is. Um, but... Well, that actually reminds me... That reminds me a lot of the moral problem, right? We're, but, we're, well, so, the, but so that's what Sam Harris said, was like in the moral landscape, you basically... Um, that we, like in that book, makes he, he makes the <laughs> argument that we need to, if technology is going to take a role in shaping human nature that's going to be based on some morality. Like if there's an AI that's going to be running everything, that's going to be, that's going to have our presuppositions baked into into it. it. And so his argument is basically like, we need to determine what those are. And then that's why he launches on this project of like, I need to derive some morality from it. The other thing that I thought of what you're saying is like Robert Piercig in Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance basically makes the argument uh, that yes, technology is part of, you know, human nature and we should sort of, no, he's not saying necessarily embracing it because he's not writing at a time when there's AI right. and stuff like that. But is I mean the theme throughout there the wasn't book, an algorithm to and there distill wasn't... it down is that he's basically saying when I'm working on my motorcycle and gaining this technical knowledge, like that's as much the godhead as anything else, right. and you can't be afraid of like embracing technology right. and engaging with the world in that way. And that's why uh, people are happy to maybe hand over the reins to him, Mustafa Mons. Maybe to me, but to me, that's like if you apply that on a societal wide scale, given our history, it's like, well, that's resignation to like, I guess even if, okay, let's say this, even if it was for everyone's very best good, it'd be like, okay, so long as we recognize that that's a certain, that's a very real resignation. That's a very real like what again what how much do we have to change what do we have to castrate and cut off in ourselves if part of society and culture is saying you know be a good well, boy I'm, I'm even talking about like like what 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 happens hmm. like 20 30 years down the line where we have like everyone has a neuralink oh yeah yeah and sure no like, no no uh, yeah it could happen you, relatively quickly you know you mean? well or like you think about like gattaca or something like that just to bring in another well guy, i thought that maybe america would like, be turned into an organ farm for china or that <laughs> this would just be like America, Euro, China, tr- trash land, and they'd be like a big amusement park for like, um, what do you call it? It's not too far from what it is now, where it's like, dude, if you're in a, dude, if you have the means, like America's the best place in the world to be, really, um, you know, because there's land to buy and, you know, stuff to see and products to buy and all this other stuff versus, you know, if you live on the other side of the train tracks, your experience of America is very, very different. And it's just, you know, it's true whether people, you know, see it or not, because, you know, I think, arguably part of the reckoning we are seeing is that all those people who chose not to see it or who didn't see it, you know, we give credit, some people credit there, right? Plenty of people are just ignorant, right? And back to our conversation earlier on youth is that a lot of times we don't recognize what simple apes we are. Um, but, you know, part of that reckoning to me is that is going in and, and like, I guess I, I grew up watching cops with my dad. So it's just like, you know, you see what the trailer parks look like. And I, you know, right. I'm in person too, but you know, trailer parks, ghettos, you name it. And you see the same dysfunction. Talk about an eternal recurrence. You see the same guys and the cops are going, how, how many times have we arrested you? And he's like, you, sir, three times, you, sir, three times, you, sir, three times went in the last six weeks. Right. It right, just, right, right. This, this, right, the system just repeats itself. The, the people repeat themselves because they have no way out. You know, and that's, and I don't mean to make it sound like, you know, prisoner conditions here, 
but again, back to the problems of capitalism. This is where I start because, you know, it's like I don't identify with any of those jargon in uh, right, old or right. new jargon terms or most of them that you said either. Um, but again, I can, I can admit when they have a point and I can admit when, because I think, like I would say this, like to my mind, leftists and even the crazy liberals in America, it's like, I think they're not wrong to question things and they're not, they're not even wrong in a lot of their formulations on ideas, but I well, think they're, they're, they're so- way off. They're Socrates. Yeah. They're, they're criticizing it because there's a legitimate criticism. Right. It's the age of ideas and intellectualism, right. but it's, they're it's, still. It's a bit of a bandwagon now too. Yeah. It's like, and then, and then again, this is, this is where Nietzsche's words come to mind of like, yeah, and how decadent that we don't even like, we let, you know, people, people, we, we actually encourage each other to speak up in a very real degree. It's like, right. no, no, if we there's were, a, if a, we were a. It's a Huxley essay sure. where he talks about, um, uh, he's talking about like evaluating like literature they were giving to like British children at the time. I think it's Huxley, but where he says how everything is gearing people towards thinking critically, thinking critically in the sense of criticizing things, right, and discounting all that deep emotional stuff, the stuff that make people call us a romantic asshole. You know what I'm saying? Like that's like that's what he sees uh, oh, okay. writing even like in the 30s or whenever it was, um, and so. I don't know. Maybe that is the problem. We have a plague of critics. Well, let me let, I'll go back to um, this is perfect because uh, it brings us back to David Foster Wallace. Uh, and I think I might have sent this to you before. Um, I don't even know if I have it here. But it was something along the lines of he actually, you know, as a as a cynical, jaded, flat, you know, or, you know, as, as a lot of those things and understanding his place as a young American liberal, right, in his place in the system, right? Talk about because part of his understanding and his explanation of technology was that all of this, our televisual culture creates, it's helped foster a hyper self-consciousness where to be, it's one thing to be aware of yourself and your place in the world and to constantly have to question and bother with it is actually, it's like, we do need cultural shorthand and we do need to work together to the degree that again, if, if there's not a crazy person by us, our physiology is <laughs> calm, we can work together. If someone comes along, they're going to disrupt us. So we, to a degree, right, we do work together like that as people on, whether it's two of us or 10 of us, we work as units like that. And it depends on a certain, what would you say? I don't want to say, I, I just say maybe, maybe it's an ability to even work. Maybe we could define it like that of certain conditions have to be met for us to even work somewhat efficiently or well, right? Think of a band, right? You know, you get too many geniuses in, in the kitchen and, and it easily goes right. to shit, right? Uh, They're not known for yeah, operating. Yeah, I think, you know, in, in one of the most famous cases, I always think of Gilmore and Waters, right? Um, well, it's kind of what we were talking about earlier, though, with like movies being made by committee and art being created by committee. Like, I think most great art was, like, the vision of a single... Yes. Like, you know, what you would call a tour director, which is a dictatorial... I mean, people talked about in Francis Ford Coppola when he directed Apocalypse Now that it was like living under a dictator. (laughs) That's one of the greatest movies of all time. And and he would only, through the vision of one person pushing through and saying... And so, I don't know, I guess... And some violence in there, right? Right. Because they wouldn't be seen as kosher today, right? I mean, Martin Sheen really did get drunk. He really did punch the mirror. He really did, like, cut his hand. And then he had a heart attack, like, two days later. Uh, and like, and like in his mid thirties, like because that's how stressful that film that's, was. Yeah, that's see that. Yeah, right. And now, and nowadays, people say what horror, right? What horror? And it's like you know, that's, uh, what uh, he says at the end of the movie, right? right. And then, right, <laughs> and I don't know. Again, maybe that was a, that was a subconscious expression, but uh, or a, maybe it's the repetition. But so, David Foster Wallace, right? 
he says even as even as a modern man aware of all this situation the way that to me just like Nietzsche was a progenitor of a lot of suffering that Hess recognized in Steppenwolf he says Nietzsche suffered what or he said Nietzsche suffered what a lot of people are suffering now you know decades in advance and that you know Lord only knows how many people are suffering like Nietzsche did now and this is like 1930s in Germany so and this is him having served and seen the horrors of World War One and then him anticipating and understanding the horrors of World War Two that are coming so for in Hess's position you can imagine when he by the time he read Nietzsche and then experience what he did is, you know, that just had to blow his, you know, it, ma- it makes sense that Hess was as out there, yeah. as, you know, very different than a lot of people, despite the obvious influence of his fellow Germans in Germany, period, right? All yeah. that stuff. But Wallace says that, again, modern person aware of all these conditions, he says he understands why the turn of the century Americans were so afraid of anarchy, because he said he understood that what he began to see is like in the course of art, when, 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 when the lawlessness and criticism become the norm, it's like then change becomes incoherent. Change becomes impossible. That's like Dada. It's like, like the rejection of meaning. Like yeah. It's like this idea that, <laughs> I don't know. Well, that, that, that if lawlessness become the norm, well, how do you have, what, what, is, what does change or progress mean in that? Because what he's considering is liberal morality. What he's considering is liberal progress. That's actually right. what he's addressing. Like and liberal democracy, basically. Yeah, well, that meets capitalism, meets the postmodern condition, meets the televisual culture, meets, you know, because right. again, back to the point of who's like, what man should have ever had to be conscious of all that? And it seems like very few can handle it. And it's like, well, David Foster Wallace killed himself. And to me, it's hard to distinguish mental illness from the con- natural condition of life itself. Because to me, mental illness is just a disordered will. Nietzsche says an undirected will will destroy itself before it wills nothing. Like, it has to will something so destruction is good enough, I guess. I don't know the actual psychological principle, but it seems to be true, you know? And in America, I think, you know, it's telling to me that Americans haven't, like, we haven't cared about winning a war in, uh, you know, decades. And we haven't really had a, a, you could say, really a necessary war in the very real sense in a long time. But I mean... Post-World War II, uh, the changes that happened in this country, now we're getting a whole other thing because to me, no, I mean, talking about, you know, the states in the military history, especially post-World War II and how it's changed in terms of, you know, and I guess this is why Eisenhower wrote his whole speech on the military-industrial complex. And, you know, it's just kind of this thing that was said and done and it exists as this important piece of American history and it doesn't really, I don't know, like the NSA spying on anyone. What can anyone do about it? It doesn't really matter anymore, right? It just is what it is. And so when we say... Like, you know, maybe, uh, again, if we accept technology, it's like these are all the things we're accepting. And I guess the answer seems to me to be it's too late. We've already accepted it. (laughs) You know, I mean, and I don't mean too late as in uh, because I guess it's easy to again, it's easy to be pessimistic here. It's easy to be jaded here. It's easy to be. It's again. Well, I guess it's the question remains of like, what's it going to be guided by? And that's like. And can you be okay regardless? Because I guess that's maybe 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 that's the if we're really pushing the issue to go like, hey, the point isn't to antagonize with these lines of questions. Right. The point isn't to uh, because it's easy to, I think, take just any line of inquiry as an attack. Right. Immediately Mm -hmm. go like, oh, you're saying something I don't like. How dare you? but it really is a question of, uh, of where we're at, what's left of what we call American culture and where it's going after this. Well, cool. I think on that note, cause I'm not, I don't have an answer. <laughs> yeah, no, no, we can let, we'll, we'll leave it. We'll leave it for the, uh, listeners. Yeah. All right. Mina, it's been good, man. Yeah. No, thanks for having yeah, me. Uh, I appreciate it. And for, oh. I mean, I guess this will be in the description, but he's here from out of town in Austin, Texas on a cold rainy night. 
and so <laughs> I've just been putting down beers and talking. Hopefully, uh, we've got something good here. But anyway, we're signing off. All right, good night. I'll say it, uh, social media, the way it does go down smooth and easy, it almost does feel like a drug, but, you know, there's no reason not to use it <laughs> when, no, no, when, again, like history, it's to the degrees that it serves us. So, uh, you know, you can check out my website, uh, www.bezabezar.com, that's B-E-Z-A-B-E-Z-A-R.com, and also uh, me and Liebensmaller from the Nietzsche Sub are going to be launching a podcast soon called The Gay Fish Podcast, so come check it out to... Uh, see some more of uh, philosophy and psychology. Or hear some more. Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you got to get I'm your getting sense. synesthesia here. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Uh, we had to get that plug in. Okay. All right, Thanks everybody. Good night. If you enjoyed the Nietzsche podcast or found it helpful, you can visit us and support the show at patreon.com slash untimely reflections. The link is in the description. Or just share the show with any of your friends that you think might enjoy it or on social media. Thank you for your support.